0: The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com.
1: Very active starting a business. It takes a lot of gumption. I really want to dig in deep, figure out what makes these people tick, how they are leveraging their success to make the rest of the world a better place. Maybe have a couple of giggles along the way.
0: From the Pod 617 studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's The Kilroy Report, the podcast that shares the stories of entrepreneurs and agency owners doing extraordinary things in an ordinary world. Now, here's your host, Tim Kilroy.
1: Hey, everybody, it's Tim. Welcome to The Kilroy Report, where we talk to people who are building extraordinary businesses in a completely ordinary world or ordinary people who are building. Things an extraordinary world. However, you want to think about it doesn't matter, as long as we've got the right mix of extraordinary and ordinary, because we are all both. And it's my big pleasure today to welcome John Hill from Adapted Growth. John is a a thinker, a martial artist, a an, an emerging Stoic, a sales trainer, a sales philosopher, and certainly it looks like someone who's going to become a hair model really soon. So. <laughs> John, thanks for, thanks for, for, for spending a little time with me. And what I love is to sort of get like the the two minute look at who you are and and what you're trying to accomplish through adapted growth and through all the other stuff that you do and think about.
0: Yeah. I mean, first, thanks for the intro, like the thinker and the sales philosopher are probably the two labels I'm most proud of in there because I don't try to put those labels on myself. And so it's nice whenever somebody else does. So thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate it. My life essentially changed pretty significantly in 2012, whenever I took a first personality assessment called DISC. And my sales coach at the time, who's who's still my sales coach now, told me, and the reason why you struggle in this role is because you're not built really to be a salesperson. And he was telling me this to let me down and let me off the hook. But the way that I think, I was like, oh, Because I thought that I was this unique snowflake individual and I was the only person who thought the way that I did and everything else, just like everybody else does before they like go through a process like this. And so he's trying to let me off the hook and like, maybe this isn't the right fit for you. And I'm just thinking about, oh, there's a whole group of people who have also figured out how to sell when they're not like wired for it out of the box. Who were those people? How can I surround myself with them? What kind of tips and tools can I learn? And my business partner at the time was looking to offset his weaknesses, right? So he was looking for someone who could be the day-to-day person, the process driven person, because that's not how he operates. So he took a whim And that's what we did for the next three years was we were really focused on building affordable websites in the 1500 to about $3,000 range was what we started at. And then we actually moved it up to about three to seven. We were trying to be cheaper than an agency and better than your nephew was kind of the goal there. And it was really just essentially a dojo, like, like an opportunity to practice and learn because my business partner had been on the sales path for longer than I had. And so every terrible cold call that sucked. Okay. Why? And then we would just sit down and role play. And uh, things went on. He ended up relocating to uh, Seattle and was looking for a sales coach and couldn't find one. So he decided, I'm going to do this myself. So we decided to part ways on good terms. We're still very close. And I really like the data-driven side of sales, right? CRMs and processes and wanted to focus more on that. And that's where adaptive growth really started. It wasn't meant to be a coaching thing from the beginning, but it just kind of it just kind of evolved from there because I can't stop talking about this stuff. I can't have a conversation without trying to, well, why didn't you ask this question? Like, I, it's crazy. I just can't shut up about it. So that's kind of where we are now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think when you find the thing that you can't shut up about, that's that's generally like a positive signal, right? Like that's that either means that you are delusional of some sort, and there's stuff stuck in your head, or or you found something that that you know really captures your being. Though I must say, Larry Kim, who founded WordStream and a Mobile Monkey, oh yeah, um, he's got this great article that basically talks about how, in order to be a successful entrepreneur, there has to be a significant amount of self delusion. Like oh. you have to be able to convince yourself that you can achieve things that are not possible. If you want to have like a $10 million business, like first of all, like less than 1% of businesses ever hit $10 million in revenue. So automatically you're doing something super hard. And then the fact that you're going to like sit down and think of that idea and like write it down and put together stupid goals that get you to 10 million without really any idea if you can do it, that's sort of functionally delusional, but you, <laughs> but you need to be able to do that in order to find the resources in yourself to like run uphill all day long through jello while people are throwing rocks and sticks at you, right? Because that's what being an entrepreneur is really like.
0: And I love that. I was just talking with a friend the other day and we were talking about how sometimes being an entrepreneur, uh, like you get super excited and then like just the swings of momentum are so crazy that uh, a lot of them, a lot of us like are essentially functional, like bipolar people right? Because you get so excited about like new ideas and stuff and you have these wins and then you also have the suck, right? The suck of the struggle and the risk and everything else. And it's this tight rope, right? And some people handle it better than others. And honestly, that's where the stoicism really came into play for me. It, It was just with all the struggles of last year, I had a huge revenue swing, I think just like pretty much everybody else on the planet did. And like, that was the thing journaling and, and, and reading like Ryan holiday and every other stoic thing sure. that I could try to get my hands on. And I'm barely even scratching the surface, but I'm excited to keep looking and digging. So that way, the next version of this, whatever that's going to look like, I'm better prepared, right? I'm better, I'm better set up mentally, like mindset wise to right. like you know, weather the, the storm.
1: You know, the key elements of stoicism being understanding which that, which is internal and that's, which is external. Yeah, and knowing that you can only control the internal stuff. The external stuff is not really in your control. So, so let's, oh, and by the way, here, will I'll just do a, a little plug right here, like here's my daily stoic. I've, this is my second time through.
0: Here's mine right here. Yeah, right? nope. Going nope. through it. This nope. is my first time actually. And I'm, I've got a small group of people in, in a discord server that w- it was just like eh, friends and stuff. And we've got people that are going through it each day and then like essentially kind of putting their thoughts and their questions about it into this thing. And like that to me is where you really shortcut some of the learning process around this stuff is when you're surrounding yourself with other people who think similarly or think very differently. So that way you can have conversations because that's where you're going to test your, test your understanding, test your knowledge about sure. this stuff.
1: Yeah. So Although I, I must say, I, I prefer to do it on my own. Okay. Just because of the way that I learn, I need to, say stuff to myself a lot. I have to sort of like a, the an internal mantra, I have to sort of repeat stuff. So it becomes mine yeah, in, um, in some way. And if I start sharing stuff that I don't own, then I lose it.
0: It's funny uh, because I see a lot of value in what you're talking about, right? I, I, I write statements and affirmations that are daily, right? And there are things that I have subtly tweaked, right? Like small little word choices to make sure that like, as I'm writing it, I, I feel it landing like inside of, and like, like in my head, if that makes sense. I used to write this line in my journal that, that I don't care what anybody else thinks. And it was way more like toxic than that. It was like, no F's given. Right. It was right. essentially like, like what I was writing and what it was doing was, was like putting this chip on my shoulder, right? Like I don't need your pr- approval and F off. And I'm like, man, like, this is not really what I want to be. So now when I write that line in my journal, it's morphed into this other thing that gets the same message across and, and allows me to like detach from like the thoughts and feelings of others, but not in a way that also puts a chip on my shoulder. And right. that's where you do the work, right. Is it, is in your journaling. But th- the other, the flip side of that coin is uh, I like to put myself in in a, in a position where I have to teach something before I think that I'm ready to teach it. So sure. that, that yeah. drives me like, like very much so to like keep on the path of like learning and improving these things that, I, that I get really interested in. So when I like, I, I read a little bit about stoicism, and I was getting into the obstacle is the way, and I was like, "Hey, does anybody want to do this with me?" And nobody did at the time. And I'm like, "Okay, that's totally fine," but it, I like putting that pressure on myself of like, can I think about this in a way that I can communicate it to somebody else? Yeah.
1: It's hard. Okay. So, so let's let me ask you something that that is is sort of difficult in this sort of the context of the stoic philosophy, and, and I want to get into the practical applications of it in a second, but mm-hmm. the obstacle is the way. So basically the, the basic premise of that is whatever causing you the problem or wh- whatever thing is in your way, that's the problem that needs to be solved. And you, and you were able to improve yourself, your understanding and your capacity as a human being by solving that problem. Because ob- obstacles are sort of pointing out the your own deficiencies in some respect. Now, if we want to think about this from an entrepreneurial perspective, yeah. at some point, the solving obstacles is not an internal thing because you have to start thinking about who can solve this problem for me, not how do I solve it. Absolutely. And so and so, that's, and so that's, that's like an interesting dichotomy because the, the, uh, in a certain realm of entrepreneurship, so many people have adopted this this concept of or uh, a light version of stoicism but how, but how do you reconcile the fact that obstacles that present themselves are telling you where you need to improve versus you being pragmatic and saying instead of mitigating my weaknesses or improving on my deficiencies I'm going to maximize my I'm going to maximize my advantages and then solve the problem externally
0: man that's a great question well, thanks yeah i think that comes back to really the other part of Stoicism is really knowing myself, right? I'm not great at marketing myself, like at all. It's been a struggle for as long as I've been out trying to build adapted growth because I don't like the big flashy bang stuff. I don't like the lifestyle sure. marketing. I hate I hate all of that, right? And I apologize. mean, though you
1: do drive two Lambos at once, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Only when I can rent them consecutively on Turo and give them back at the end of the day. Okay. Okay. Right. I and there's this whole movement against like the guru and all of that stuff. And I, I, I don't want to, I don't even want to be part of that. Like last year when all this was going on and I was kind of like really trying to figure out like where I wanted to go and who I wanted to be. I was looking at some of these people, like these big talking heads in, in the sales space, guys like Dan Locke and Grant Cardone and other people. And it, I was like, like, man, I don't want to be any one of these people. And then I kind of had to sit for a little bit and think, do I have to be, do I have to be that kind of person to like, find like my crowd of people who think about this the same way I do and get value out of how I think about it. And the answer to that is is exactly what you said. No, but it's really hard to like market around moderation, right? Like, like be, be consistent, be deliberate. Like we can't all be Jocko Willink. you said dichotomy a second ago, which just makes yeah. me think about Jocko Willink and like, I have elements of like wanting to go be like making it the toughest thing possible. So that way, whenever I win, it is unabashedly recognized as a win sometimes beating your head against the wall. like, just doesn't make any sense. Right. So,
1: yeah, I, as a matter of fact, uh, rarely does it. Yeah. All it does is get you a bruised forehead. Honestly. Yeah.
0: One of my accountability partners is continuously beating me over the head with the idea of you have to give them what they want so that way you, they will actually listen to you when you are ready to give them what they actually need. Well,
1: so uh, kudos to kudos to your accountability partner in some respects, because you do have to sell what people will buy. Yeah. Right. And in many respects, anybody who's in marketing, we don't do a lot of, or, or sales. We don't do a lot of demand generation. We actually do mostly demand capture.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so, and demand generation is this idea that I'm going to present something to you and you will recognize it as relevant to you and therefore something you need. Mm -hmm. However, you can only sort of see that after the fact, because nobody is standing in in, in, in the marketplace saying, I wish somebody would give me that thing that I have yet to articulate yeah. so so what they do is but both the business buyers and consumers are thinking, I want something and in the absence of knowing what it, exactly it is, I'm gonna go to something that's easy to identify. like it just takes the complexity out. if I listen to the marketing messages and think like, oh, of course, like, of course I need to. the guy who's making the most noise shapes my understanding of what is possible, available and desirable. Yeah. Right. So, so I, so there's a need in me and it gets satisfied or addressed somehow through those noisy folks in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So in some respects, if you don't, or if you don't have enough overlap with those noisy marketers, the person who is going to respond to your, your diskless sales approach, you there, they won't be able to hear you because they have reverted or they have uh, attached themselves to the things that were available.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and in sales. By the way,
1: wow, like I'm tired after that.
0: that, that <laughs> <explanation>. <laughs> and the, the, the thing about that is, is it in sales? Everyone just thinks it's a script right? The script, just follow the script and you're going to be fine. Right. And I like, because I want to know what other people are marketing and stuff. And I like to explore. So I hop in these funnels, right. And I'm, I I get the lead magnets and it's just like the script. And it's like, would you be able to, to follow the script and not sound like a robot or a salesperson? So that way you don't, get treated like a salesperson, right? Because like, think about it, Our most people have got a very bad view of salespeople. And so when you come across as a salesperson- Hey, what can I do to get you in this car today? Yeah, yeah. other than price, what's keeping you from making a decision? Price, obviously, like it's a terrible question, but people do it all the time because it's on a, it's on a sheet and someone told them to right. do so. And yeah. like, sometimes those conversations are gonna go off the rails. And if you don't actually like own the conversational part of it, you're not gonna be able to get that back on track right? And you're going to feel out of place. You're going to feel uncomfortable. And then that's going to translate down. And then what's going to happen is you're going to get a big "oh, think it over, right? Which is usually a no, right? And oh, usually absolutely. it's our fault, right? Like if you're pitching somebody and you have not done a really great job of qualifying, you're putting all the pressure on them to make the decision if this is right for them or not. And the way that I think about selling is you're supposed, your whole goal is to be a guide in that moment. Like I might not be the right one to help you, but the goal is to leave this conversation with you having the clarity of you knowing exactly what you need, whether that's me or somebody else. And if it's not me, can we just leave it at a no? You know? Yeah.
1: And I, and people often get confused by that approach. Yeah. Because the the people, the people on the receiving end of your sales guiles and wiles are, they are expecting the hard close. They're expecting the, well, can I get your credit card? And yeah, and, and something and, close, yeah. Right. When when you're talking about this as a conversation and a mutual decision to move forward, many people are thinking like what like where's the catch? There's a catch here somewhere. Yeah. Wait, did I just sign up for two? Like, <laughs> one, I don't like what's going on here. And I think so much of that <clears throat> is is based around. In some respects, the way that salespeople are compensated.
0: Oh by, yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest because,
1: because we make it they're underpaid or they're paid only on performance, and therefore, they're they have no intrinsic value other than other than closing the deal. And mm-hmm. as we all know, people are really good at understanding what benefits them. And so, uh, if you create a circumstance where you only receive benefit if you hit if you do a if you create a desired action then you're going to do whatever it takes to create that desired action whether or not that desired action is actually helpful or
0: not your intention in the moment makes all the difference right and uh, i talk about this all the time when you're the entrepreneur and you're handling all of your sales conversations yourself you get wins in, in many different ways, right? If you close a good client, that's a win. If you narrowly avoid closing a client who's going to be that problem client, that that pain that yeah. you hate and stuff, that's also a win. And if you disqualify somebody early because like they're not a good fit and you save that time and you can go do the other set, that's also a win. And then you bring on a salesperson or a closer and the, and those other wins drop out of the way because it's just, what have you closed for me lately? Right. It's, like, it's like you're putting them into a very confusing headspace. Right, because you're telling them that you want one thing, but then you're also only ever asking, Hey, did you close this? Did you close this? Did right. you close this? So what do you think they're gonna do? They're gonna to try to close stuff like like at any cost. They're not worrying Absolutely. about qualifying. Absolutely. They're just so, trying to close.
1: So so and you used a term that that honestly that it only exists in internet marketing. The closer.
0: The closer. Yeah.
1: So and you actually you you said the salesperson or the closer. Clearly, they're two different. They're two different so. roles. So, so 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 tell me what the difference is and who should who should be using which.
0: Man, good good question. When I think about a closer, I think about like a very fully developed sales process, right? There's whatever that looks like for you, right? If that's ad driven, if it's cold email driven, if it's just regular email list driven. Yep. But these people are raising their hand and the frame is like, hey, let's see if we can work together on this, right? Framing is the, the only potentially magical component about selling. And most people just get it completely wrong. And maybe, so, that,
1: so let's put a definition around that quickly. Yeah. Framing
0: is? Framing is their view of what the conversation is going to be about. There's a big difference between like the salesperson who says, hey, I just need a few minutes every time. I would love to show you this thing because I really think it's going to change your business. Can I have 15 minutes next week? And, the and by the way, if anybody
1: ever asks you that, the answer should be no.
0: Yeah the answer is usually no, right? And even if it is a yes, you're put you're putting yourself into such a pressure-filled situation to like, probably overcommit your team or make big promises that you're not even sure if you can fulfill on because you're trying to swing at a moving target, right? With a blindfold on, essentially. Yeah. Whereas if you can frame that around, hey, uh, I have no idea if you're dealing with the stuff that we hear about from our clients most often, would it be, would it make sense to have a conversation, talk through those things, and then if you're dealing with that, we could talk about it. And and if not, I can get out of your hair. What conversation do you want to have? Right? I like like I'll take the second one all day long, right?
1: Right. And I don't have much hair, so it's really easy to get out of it. So
0: <laughs> but you know, framing, framing is important. And most salespeople love to put themselves in spots to where they're essentially begging and borrowing and pleading with with people yeah. to to get just 15 minutes and then the email follow-up of hey, hey. Did you have a moment to look at that stuff I sent over that you didn't ask for? And now I'm assuming and like trying to apply pressure so that way you you do go, nobody right, likes that like, stuff.
1: Right, you feel manipulated into responding and saying, well, sure, I'll, I will guess I'll get on a call.
0: Absolutely, it's right? One, no. So, so the closer in my view of it is there's a well-developed funnel of some sort. So that way, the, by the time that the conversation is happening, they've raised their hand at least once. They're open to having a conversation to see if there's a mutual fit here.
1: Right, and so- Closer is suitable when, when the prospect has, has basically asked to be sold to.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: And so, tell me what a salesperson does.
0: A salesperson. I, I heard a line once, and I don't know if you agree with this, but somebody told me once that the better marketing, the worse the salesperson. In sure. the in yeah. the worst marketing requires you to be a better salesperson. Absolutely. So if you're out there networking and biz deving and getting into conversations and looking for referrals and like really like building a book of business, that in my opinion makes you a salesperson. And that requires a level of skill that is that is harder than to be just a closer, right? Some of these scripts and stuff like this can work on a very reduced scale. But the thing that I take issue with is sales is a numbers game, there's always a volume component to it but so many people just get stuck about managing the numbers and they don't ever work to improve the numbers. Right. right? So yes, that's they just say yeah. I closed three deals over 500 calls, so I need to do 25,000 calls to get to my, it's like, right. you, don't, you, you don't think there's ever a situation where you could do a hundred calls and close three. You don't think that it makes sense to work on it, like in that format. And it's right, just this did, idea right. that people don't look for the depth of that stuff because they I like Tim Ferriss as much as a lot of people do, but the 80-20 approach doesn't always work out as well as people talk about it working out because right. it has to be adjusted for the individual. And that and that's not what's happening in a lot of these kind of like courses and things like this, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: and I think the I think one of the 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 most important pieces when you you know that sort of that 500 calls to make three sales, that is that's outcome focused.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. It's not process focused, agreed, right. And I think, one of the, like, w- one of the things that that really helps, helps my clients sort of understand things better is when I put it, when I talk about the pirate funnel, do you know what the pirate funnel is?
0: No, I don't.
1: So, so the pirate funnel is, it's sort of, it's, it's sort of a SAS, it's a, a SAS concept where you've got awareness activation. So I forget what the other piece is, but basically it, it sort of breaks the, your world down into people who are in various stages of the market. And the, the reason why they call it the pirate film, there's six stages to it. It's A, 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 R, R, so it's R. Oh,
0: right? okay. I like it.
1: But the, and I'll put a link to it somewhere here. But but the idea is rather than trying to optimize for the outcome, you think, great. I have got, a, if after the awareness stage becomes activation mm-hmm. or something, right? So, So if I want my, Activation to be better, I should improve the step above it. Yes, you know, like absolutely. It, right, and so then that means the the awesome thing is it makes your world smaller. Mm-hmm. Right, so you're only thinking about that one thing to improve it, and because you have the rest of your process set up, your outcome will inevitably improve after you've improved that one part. And so you don't have to tackle everything at once. You sort of break it down and say, like, okay, where you know, where's my problem today? Or what am I improving today? That way you are much more able to impact your outcome without the futility of focusing on the outcome because the outcome yeah. never like the, the outcome never comes from doing all the wrong stuff.
0: And that's I mean, hugely important for agency owners, right? Because yeah. when you're small you got to have a very tight value alignment, right? If you're mostly cold email person, right? And you don't really do SEO and someone comes along and they're like, well, I, I really see value in SEO. Can you do that for me? Right? You might put yourself in a bad spot because you're scared of losing the business and stuff. And then you're going to go try to do that badly. Right? right. And at the thing that that I think you and I both kind of talk about a lot is you can either prioritize your prospects or you can prioritize your team and your processes, Right? And what happens is a lot of salespeople are like under this pressure of close a deal. So they're out there closing deals. We talked about that a second ago. And man, if it has a pulse and a wallet and they say, yes, let's close them. And it's right. a wonder that like the team delivering the fulfillment team, the owner, who whoever's like handling the work of this thing is frustrated with the salespeople. Like we can't figure this thing out. It's like, well, who should they be saying no to? Well, right, right. they shouldn't be saying no to anybody. Nobody like anybody who comes in the door should be a client of yours. right? Oh, well, right. no, I don't mean that.
1: Right. The, the, the single biggest skill a service-focused entrepreneur can have is picking the right clients.
0: Absolutely. I, I can tell you the five deals to this day that I should have said no to in our website company because every one of them had a little bit of hair on it, a little bit wonky. And I'm like, oh, well, we'll just charge a little bit more, right? The same thing that everybody else does after they've had the first bad client. And every time, Every time you get finished with that project, and you're doing, you're kind of like, you know, post-project debrief. Hopefully, you're doing this kind of stuff, and it's like, I didn't charge enough. I should have just yeah. said no. And next time, I will say no. But because you don't have a process, and you don't have it, and you're not reinforcing it, you're in front of that yeah. next client, and it's starting to look super juicy, but it's also a little bit weird. And you're like, well, it's okay. Well, we've done this yeah. before.
1: It's it's the idiot tax.
0: Yeah. Right. You, and
1: you learn you you learn by by like like well, when you fail miserably, you actually don't learn very much, yeah. right? Because it's, you've got like shame attached to it and you don't want to think about it deeply, yeah. but when you fail a little bit, that's when you learn the most. You're like, oh, jeez, like we, like we, like we got it done, but it wasn't as good as we wanted. We didn't make any money on it. And we've been fighting about this for days. Right. And then you are like, oh, well maybe we should rethink you know how we approach this because so you can actually learn stuff when you fail a little bit but if you like if you totally get if you have disastrous results and you get fired and stomped on then
0: and i've never thought can't. about it i've never thought about it like that but that's really interesting to me because on the other side of that is when you're pushed just barely outside of your comfort zone, like that's one of the key elements for like actually finding flow in your activities and stuff. And I'm obsessed with flow and like how to get into it. And I find it in my sales conversations because I'm trying to I'm trying to go super deep. I'm trying to build enough trust that like we can ask the hard questions so that way I know exactly where I stand and exactly what they want and are looking for. And it's that same thing of you gotta be pushed just barely out of your comfort zone a little bit so that way you can live with it. Some of these are you a James Altucher guy? Yeah, familiar sure. with him. Okay, yep. so big blogger guy, and all of his posts are always like, you know, I lost it all. I just lost yeah. the job. Failure porn. That's, that's yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that line actually. Failure porn. And I I used to read those blog posts like way back before I was an entrepreneur. Like I I, I was a want entrepreneur trying trying to figure it out. Yep. And um, I, I would read these posts, and then after a while, it was just like man, I see that this is like a tactic and a gimmick. And then I would kind of look down on these people of like, oh, you can only talk about this crap after the fact. You can't like man up and talk about it like while you're going through it. And like last year, right? Like my revenue swing was pretty crazy and I didn't want to talk about it. And then I was like, oh, now I get it. Right. Right.
1: And also like who wants to hear the story when you're in crisis? Because that's complaining, right?
0: Yeah. That's the other thing as well, right? Everybody wants to hear like the, the hero's ending, right? The return to greatness.
1: Right. And, uh, right. right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. I want to switch gears for just a second. So, so tell me about adaptive growth. Like how do you help your clients? Would give me the, the, give me your, your mission and results. What's like, how, how do you help people get better?
0: Yeah. Thank you. So it's been a couple of different things, but the way that it works now is everybody brings their own crap to the table of being in sales, right? If you're the entrepreneur and you're having to wear seven hats, right? You're dropping some balls somewhere right? If you're the salesperson, depending upon your personality type in your disc or your Myers Briggs, if you want to go to to that depth, there are things that you're going to do well. And there are things that you're going to avoid because they're just blind spots, right? Maybe it's updating your CRM. I have no problem updating my CRM because of like how I operate, but I'm not the normal salesperson. Okay. Right. Awesome. So sales training is the same way, right? Depending upon your personality, how you view, view conflict and relationships and people versus tasks, that is going to take on a different meaning and what you need to be doing to develop your game. So that way you can have really good conversations. So we try to look at what parts of this do you like? What parts of it do you hate? Can we fix any of that with software? Right? Usually that means a CRM. We do a lot of CRM build yeah. outs for people. And the thing that we're moving towards for this year is these 90 minute live builds, right? Because At this point, I built so many of them that we can hop on a Zoom call. I can interview you for like 90 minutes. I can build this thing out as we're talking about it, right? The important data points, what your pipeline looks like, the stages, what parts of this go wrong that we could possibly front load so that way we're saving time and making sure we're on the same page. And the biggest concern about CRM and any kind of software is implementation and building good habits around usage. Because I had people all the time like, do you recommend a CRM that can do more than this? And it's like, no, I recommend that you build better habits and practices around using what you have. Right nobody wants to hear so we do this thing i I can put people in a couple of different systems right and i get a longer trial because i'm a certified partner and so like i can put you into one we do a 90 minute zoom call you see me building this thing here in front of you which kind of removes some of the fragility that people think about gcrm systems yep it's built out right there you get four weeks of follow-up and an hour-long call like like now that we built this in the vacuum how's it actually working in the field Like, where is it breaking? What is stressing you out? What do we need to change? And then each day you get a text message from me that just says, hey, just play with it a little bit. Play with it a little bit. So like really helping people build good habits around using these things because what most people don't understand is like everyone's talking about more leads and cheaper leads and lead flow is important. But if you have good referrals and some good lead flow coming in, you're probably just not capitalizing on those conversations.
1: Like you got to knock down what's in front of you first.
0: Absolutely. Right. And a CRM helps you with that because it helps you standardize the process. So that way you know where you are. There is nothing better than like finishing a conversation and knowing that you've covered for everything you possibly can and everything else is outside of your control and being really okay with that. It, it takes a while to get there. And there's some yeah. other elements that are super important, but that's the thing that I'm trying to get from my clients, right? When you hang out the phone, when you end the Zoom call, when you leave that meeting and you've done everything that you possibly can, you know exactly where you are. You're not guessing at moving targets. You're not working in right. the dark. You've got good client relationship. They have a problem you can solve. They understand why you do it the way you do it. There's value in that view for them, all of that stuff. So that way, when they actually come on as a client, you hand them off to the team, right? They're not sweating oh my God, what are we going to have to do for this person? Right, right. right. Because you made a bunch of over promises because you just wanted to close the deal right. because it's been a bad yeah. month. Right.
1: Uh, all right. We've we got a couple minutes left here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a uh, couple follow-ups specifically about that. So, so what kind of sales organizations do you serve the best? I you know, know, that- are you like solo sellers or small teams, big teams? where's that magic spot where where your leverage generates the most lift for them?
0: The people that I really like helping the most are the entrepreneurs who have not brought on a salesperson yet, right? They might have tried, it might have gone badly. Yep. Or you know, in, in the agency world, like what's the average appointment cost these days if you're running ads? Isn't it like, like 150 bucks somewhere around there? Uh, maybe more, yeah. Maybe more, right? So how terrifying is it that you're paying $150 per lead and you're going to give it to a brand new person? You're not going to let that person fail, right? You're not even really going to give them a fair shot at it. And right. And
1: also if it's the founder doing the selling. Yes. Almost inevitably they're relying on founder magic. Yes. to sell. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And like you know, founder magic, it's it's real. Yeah. In my agencies, I 100% could make sales that my sales team couldn't. Yes. Easy. Like not not like but could I could I pay attention or be motivated enough by the regular sale on a daily basis to like want to invest my my energy there? Yeah. After you like made a bunch of regular sales, like I'm a bit of a an adrenaline junkie. And (laughs) once you get past the like, yes, we've made the sale and we can cover payroll, right? Like those those were Like those are exciting sales, but you're like, yep, another one. Good. When it gets boring, like you gotta, like, you gotta get somebody who's hungry after it, but, but so how, so how do you, so how does technology help the the founder magic turn into a a sales process that is repeatable by somebody who doesn't have magic or that kind Hmm. of magic?
0: That's the million dollar question, right? I, I have a client right now. And I, well, I think it's
1: bigger than million dollars, John. <laughs> aim high, aim high,
0: aim high. I, I, right now. And he's a solid, he's, he's a really solid agency owner. He's really good at what he does, but he, on his demo calls, he's selling himself. He's not yep. selling his process or his team. And so he was looking for someone we had the conversation. I, I brought in a person and at the same time, he had a buddy who was interested in the idea. And so now I'm working with these two individuals on this person's team and He's like, man, I'm trying to be patient. I'm trying to be patient, but I would have closed some of these deals. And I'm like, yeah, if you had hopped on there and done a two hour Zoom and they'd gotten to watch you do all your magic of moving all of this stuff around and doing everything that you do, for, you, you would absolutely close these deals. Do you want to do that? He's like, no, the whole goal is that way. I don't have to do that anymore. And it's like, okay, that, that takes a little bit of time, a little bit of patience because your expertise is not scalable to these people that you want to have handling these conversations. Right. They it's, need a process.
1: Right, it's, so. it's pretty easy to sell. I'm really smart.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Right?
1: Mm-hmm. But there's a limit to that.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and also,
1: yeah. there, are con- then there are also consequences to that because if absolutely. you're selling, yeah. I'm really smart,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that means that your face has got to be available in every engagement. And on some very real, but not intentional way, when you're selling, I'm very smart, you're almost saying out loud, well, these guys help me. My team.
0: <laughs> uh, so this is actually the conversation that started um, my, my podcast. It's, it's called Sales Throwdown. We were at a sales conference and it was the four of us that are on the show. And Al was there in Nanette, who's, who works on his team was like, was like, John, I have a sales problem. Can I run it past you? And I used to work for Al like, like that was my last job before I went and kind of found all this stuff out and started really working with coaches and really putting my nose to the grindstone. And I was like, sure. What you got. And the situation was Al who's like that big, typical entrepreneur person, very, I right. Look at me. He told one, one of his really good friends of like, Oh yeah, Nanette, she's on my staff. She'll be able to help you. And it's like, why would that person want to work with Nanette after you talked about them in the way that you did? Like, oh, this is my staff. And I get that it's hard to not do that whenever it's been your thing for so long. But like, if you're not building up your team, like you're just putting yourself into a spot to where they're going to try to get around your team to get back to you because they think that you're the only person who can do it. So talk your team up, right? Like, hey, Like, I'm going to bottleneck this if I try to run this. And the net really knows it inside and out. She's going to be the way, the better person for you to talk to on this. Can I put you in contact with her? And then the whole thing changes. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And that's framing what's going to be happening at like, like after this and framing it the right way, because you can be like, oh yeah, well I'm the brains, but I got some people and and they'll take care of you. Nobody wants that.
1: Right. I think a corollary that I when, when I talk to my clients a lot is Sometimes it's very hard for the agency owners to extract themselves from the delivery side of the business.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's because they think that their job is to make their customers happy. That is not their job.
0: They're talking about something you can't own, right? right,
1: But also, but their job is to create systems, processes, and teams that can satisfy their customers' expectations. Yeah. Right. So their focus, the, the organizational leader, their focus should not be on customers directly. It should be on making sure that the team can satisfy the needs of the customer. right? Like yes. that's, and so that's taking in what is generally speaking an external focus and making it internal. right? And I think sales, when you are selling, when you are making the transition from, from founder magic to a team or process driven sale, you know, it really is, it's taking, it's taking the sort of individual consultant sale and turning it into like, wow, this is like, we've got a machine that will make sure that your worst day doing around the area that we cover was the day before you hired us. Yeah. 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 All right. So, so really just a couple minutes left. So why don't like, i like to try to end this with something actionable or challenging. Okay. So give me one or two ways that somebody can either challenge themselves to think about their sales process differently right now, or a sort of a common mistake that you see that is reasonably easy to correct.
0: Oh, so. Or,
1: or some other thing that fits those criteria. <laughs>
0: So the biggest thing that I talk about with and the thing that I try to work on in my own conversations is don't make assumptions, right? And that's really hard after you've had lots of reps, lots of repetitions of talking to like the same type of business owner, because if you're niched, a lot of the conversations are going to sound very the same. And so what you do is you find yourself nodding along, right? And you're doing this. So I wear this thing here. It's called a Pavlock. And what it is is that it's a shock bracelet. Essentially, there's a TENS unit built into the bottom of it. And I've been looking for something like this for a while. And- the owner was looking for a salesperson. So I got connected with him. I was like, I've been looking for this. Like, this is fantastic. And I got it. And on my calls, I am constantly looking for those spots where I'm making an assumption as opposed to asking a question. And if I find myself nodding along, right? Someone's talking to you and they're like, well, we really want to be on Facebook. And you go, oh yeah, right? Because you're starting to get excited. You're starting to get sales happy, right? Because they're they're checking your boxes. The question is, why do you want to be on Facebook? So that way, they validate their whole thought process, and you're not having to make a bunch of assumptions. Got it. Right. So it it doesn't necessarily have to be the shock bracelet. Like I wear that because it hooks up to if this then that, and I can do some other fun stuff with it. But get, get a rubber band. Right. Take yeah, two sure. minutes. Take two minutes before your calls and think about what's my intention. What is the win? What is the base hit? What is the walk off? What am I going to say no to? And then go into your calls prepared. It's not the wing it thing. And most salespeople, because of their personality type, are just really great at having off the cuff conversations because they're, they're very smart people. But that very smart thing is hurting you in your conversations, right? Ask the questions, don't make any assumptions, right? I, I closed a deal yesterday and the guy was like, yeah, I, that all sounds good. And I said, does sound good mean send you the invoice and we get started? And he goes, Yeah. And I said, Are you the right person in your company for me to send that to? Is there anybody else in your company? And he was like, Yeah, it's me. I sent it, it got paid almost immediately because I'm I'm not working without a net as as right. often as I don't have to, right? Sure. You go to the you go to the show and like the grand finale is the most dangerous thing, but like everything else is tried and true, and there's safety right. protocols and everything else like this. A really good sales conversation is that thing, right? The only unknown part is. What do you think we should do now i would like to move forward okay can i tell you what moving forward looks like and then that way we can be on the same page yeah then you talk about that next step right but we're in such a hurry right slow down if you don't have really clear understanding about why they want to talk to you and why it's important right now and how it's going to impact everything inside of their business you're not ready to pitch them sure right you're guessing and right. that's what puts you squarely into that kind of salesperson role that everybody hates be, because that that's what makes people not want to sell. I don't want to do 18 like rounds of follow-up. Nobody else does either. If, if you okay. can have a really good conversation and leave it at a no, you don't have to have 18 yeah. rounds of conversation. You put them into your nurturing campaign and then they're, they're on the slow burn and eventually they come back later. But you did such a good job of having that conversation and them telling you at the end of it. It's going to be easier to get in front of them next time you have a really great offer. Right, yep. because because they're not avoiding you, because they're not scared. Man, I, I can't talk to this guy yet because I didn't tell him no last time. He's trying to close me on this deal. Right, hey, if this is a no, just let me know. Right, okay, it's a no. And yeah. so then next time, I have something for you. Can I come back and show it to you? They're gonna tell you yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's that. It's don't make any assumptions. Like, try as hard as you can to like find anywhere you're making assumptions in your conversations and stop. Right. If you have a partner. Like, and you're showing up and you're trying to fix their problems as opposed to just listening to them, like stop and ask the question, Hey, are you looking for just like an ear? or Are you looking for some help? Right. Your partner your partner's probably going to tell you, I just want the, I just want the ear. I don't need your help. You don't know what's going on here. Sure. My right. relationship got a thousand times better with my partner of 17 years, whenever I finally figured out that sometimes she just wants me to listen, but I feel like I'm a smart guy and I can figure out all the world's problems. Right. And so then I'm trying to help and she's not listening to my help because that's not what she was asking for. Right. So it's that kind of thing. And okay, good. Yeah,
1: I think that that's an excellent takeaway from John Hill of Adapted Growth, who is both apparently a relationship counselor
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and it's all a, relationships, right? right? And, and, sales and is a, just the fast uh, ROI,
1: sales technology enabler, and the director of thoughtful conversations. John, thank you so much for being here. It's been a super pleasure, and it's it's really been great to spend a little time together.
0: Man, Tim, you're one of the people who I respect the most in the coaching game of like helping other people. And if if I'm gonna plug you for a second, if that's okay. If sure. anybody's listening to this and you have not and you have not purchased Tim's cold email compendium, do yourself a favor. It's worth. It's a bargain at triple the price. It's really well well written, and uh, yeah, you should be, d- be definitely checking that out. So thank you so much.
1: Well, oh, thank you, and one blush a little bit. But,
0: uh,
1: <laughs> all right, thank you, John. Take care and and we'll talk soon. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Tim. Thanks for tuning into the Killer Report. Your support means a lot. If you liked this episode, hated this episode, whatever, please leave your feedback at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you do that sort of thing. And if you're one of the brilliant people who love this, think about subscribing. It'll do you good.